have had a lot of questions about this shirt. I haven't left the house today, and I've had nice. people asking me about this shirt today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. My um, landlord had a house inspection, a rental inspection. And did he today. say Roman is um paying paying your rent? Paying she, your rent. Nice. I love you. <laughs> she walked up and and she was like, "What does your shirt mean?" I was like, "Oh man, now I got to explain dark side to this old lady." I know. I hate. <laughs> I hate it because like. And the, whenever somebody you know asks like oh there's this comic book where there's this thing that says dark side is a lot and we have this co-worker named roman some of these shirts called roman is and they're like that doesn't make any sense still you should just make up some kind of thing well it was supposed to be a quote from romans from the bible but then it's supposed misprinted to the spoke, shirt yeah then shirt's stuck all with misprinted 300 and... shirts that say roman yeah. is and no bible verse <laughs> the yeah. seattle fly-by-night opportunity they f- up the yeah. shirts <laughs> if you want a shirt where you should not go Welcome to Comics Place Presents, a perfectly acceptable podcast, episode 279. It's a wonderful, wonderful podcast that three buddies do every single week where they get together because they run a comic shop together. They get together for a variety of reasons other than that. But once a week, we get together to have a podcast. It's a comic podcast where we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comic shop that we run, the comic books that we read that came out this week, or the comings and goings of our lives. I am Jeffrey. And I am Romini. Like the like the puffed corn food, um, <laughs> like a hominy. Um, and we have a third person, but he had to go to the bathroom, and we thought it would be really funny to start the podcast without him. So, listeners, you're in on this joke. Roman uh, Django is here, rather, but he doesn't know we're recording, and he won't yeah. know until he gets back in here. I'm I'm not used to not seeing him sitting in, you know, because we do this on Zoom. I'm not used to seeing him not sitting in his chair, and I just realized for the first time he has a he has a strap on pillow on his chair. I'm so jealous. It's, it's more than a strap-on pillow, buddy. Oh, oh, oh. I'm really jealous now. <laughs> so it's the three of us. And we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time. But before we get into that, we're going to read an email from Will Elmer. But before we get into that, we're going to give you a little bit of the rundown of the books that we're going to be talking about this week. This week, we're going to be talking about Batman number 126. Uh, it's a very exciting issue for this group uh, as a whole. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Golden Rage. We're going to be talking about Batman Killing Time. The new Shazam book. What's the official title of that? Oh boy, I have things to say about this. The new, ch- the new champion of Shazam, number the one. New cha- <laughs> the new champion of sh- Shazam, of Shazam. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Edge of Spider-Verse, number one, X-Men Red, number five, and Mind Management, number two. That's some of the stuff that we're going to be getting up to this week. And we might have other things drop in at any given time. Who knows? But before we get into all of that, we're going to check in with our dear lover. William Elmer. So this is an email from our lava, William Elmer. Hello and happy 279. My friends, as you may already know, I recently started my road to better health, which includes getting on a consistent gym schedule. Now that I'm getting in there, pumping those irons regularly, I'm starting to feel that testosterone boost kicking in, kicking in, and I feel the need for some beefy manly books to read, which of course left me wondering. Beef books. What are your favorite comics Testosterone. What are your favorite testosterone-fueled comics that you think still hold up in this day and age that captured, or that capture that spirit without being completely and utterly chauvinistic and gross? Turn up, love you guys. Awesome, Will. Uh, testosterone-filled, testosterone-filled comics. Um, Roman, you are kind of a king of those. I bet you have a good answer for that. Although, yeah, that don't come across as super chauvinistic and gross is. Because that's, you know, the two words I use yeah. to describe you to anybody that'll listen. Yeah, that's the that's the tricky part. Um, <clears throat> you know, the Conan series by, oh, Lord, was it Kurt, Kurt Busiek? Was that who was doing it? Was it when Dark From, Horse was doing it? Was it was Dark Horse, yeah. Okay. It was Dark Horse. And, and actually some of the Jason Aaron Conan stuff from Marvel lately has been pretty good. Um, and yeah, they managed to tone down the, the original and 70s, you know machismo and chauvinism factor oh and maybe i don't know with the 
Garth Ennis is Punisher. Ooh, that's pretty there? beefy. That's pretty that's beefy. beefy. I would yeah. say any Ennis Punisher is going to beef you out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if you're looking for beef tips, Garth Ennis is probably a safe bet in any given direction. Um, um, I don't think it's a huge surprise to you, William Elmer, that I am not a hugely testosterone filled person, even though Will and I have been going to the gym, separate gyms, but we text each other to make sure each other are doing it. Um, mm-hmm. We got a little, little support group and I love it. Um, so I've been in there uh, listening to football podcasts. So, you know, t- testosterone. Oh, there you go. But oh, um, oh, oh, oh. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made for just maybe 90s comics as a whole, but maybe more specifically 90s <laughs> X-Men comics, right? Like lot of hair lot oh, yeah. of muscles a lot of sweat a lot of exposed man arms hairy manners but also like female bodies that are not drawn even kind of appropriate to the to the you know yeah physical... those, those getting to the chauvinism pretty well because i was going to say some of that yeah. 90s image like cyber force that stuff but it's all very <clears throat> unrealistic yeah women especially i agree hey jingo what are your favorite testosterone fueled comics that you think think still hold up today uh that capture the spirit of you know you know big old manliness that don't end up being uh totally chauvinistic and gross jesus that is a complicated question mm-hmm. is it even possible that's a good question you're, you're the masculine we need a good beefcake so, comics that aren't offensive we need a good like hawkman series where he's like classic hawkman bare-chested and totally macho and and tough but not stupid yeah i mean yeah i i think it's hard to have one without the other but i remember really liking brit brit from kirkman or wasn't it kirkman Ooh, Uh, i could also see some mark miller books being i totally forgot about brit wow a lot of his a lot of miller's characters are kind of misogynist but as a point like yeah it's a parody of the the macho dude thing yeah I don't know, man. I I feel like I feel like that's kind of a cornerstone of comics. Sadly, those well, the, like the, that genre for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I watched Crank and Crank Crank Two High Voltage the other day with Erica. I was like, no, we don't do this, guys. We, we don't do this anymore. <laughs> this is well, one of my favorite movies, but we don't do this anymore. <laughs> um, well, thank you as always for your email, William Elmer. And I think it's probably just time to get into our first book of the week, which is Batman One Hundred and Twenty Six written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jorge Jimenez. Guys, it's the second issue of this series. It's the second issue of Chip's run. How do you feel? What do you think? Do you like it? Yeah, this this was not number two. It was number two. It's not uh, number two. But it's not a number two. That's true. It's part two. I liked it. I liked it. And, and we should mention, we're, we're going to we're gonna spoil the hell out of this. We thing. are, actually. That's in, <laughs> right off the bat, no pun intended, with this comment. <laughs> we are really going to get some spoilers going um the issue itself is just sort of a follow-up that fail-safe robot got out uh started beating the crap out of batman his team shows up to help him gunshot neck wound tim drake is doing all right it turns out um fail-safe robot nobody can get away from him they are trying to run tim and batman get to the cave because batman's like this is familiar but i don't i can't place it and he goes into a cave and tim's like hey can i come and he's like no i have to do this alone (laughs) and he emerges out of the cave as the Batman of Zur in R tying in to Grant Morrison's Batman run, Batman RIP specifically. And I was so excited to see that. <laughs> I'm this was a great uh like thriller chase fight issue because they almost the entire Bat family shows up trying to help Batman fight this killer bat robot thing. And it kicks all their asses, including Batman almost kills him. Um and of course Nightwing does an awesome motorcycle yeah, jump off the hood of the Batmobile. It was a lot of Does that fun. night thing. That yeah. night wang yeah. bang. Yeah, I do also love any time like, you know, Batman's eyes are like too big behind his cowl. There's not makeup around it, which he had to put this cowl on really oh. quickly because this is the party from last last issue. And uh I just love that you can kind of see the humanity behind him. Yeah. And I like the little kind of human just fuck of it. Like with the failsafe bat robot thing rips off Signal's helmet and scans it so now it has access to the entire bat cave and all the computers yeah that yeah. was cool but yeah I, this... I still can't help but think that this fail safe thing is tied into alfred somehow since the first issue had that framing device of like alfred hearing it beep in the bat cave before he would have died yeah i was thinking yeah. about that i don't know if it was trying to indicate that it's related to uh, alfred or if they were just saying this definitely wasn't yesterday yeah he like, just are they like trying to and... flash us back to grant morrison's like when he was the batman of zurinaw is that when he created this failsafe thing 
I guess that could be one thing. I feel like, and I can't remember because I don't have it in front of me, but I thought Alfred like went off and found the beep. Like he goes to it and we don't see what it was, but like, yeah. So Batman would have had to create it before that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I like the mystery of, of the timeline here. And I really like that. So like normally the mystery of a timeline in a Batman book would be something that everyone knows or some people know, but Batman doesn't. And in this one, Batman made it and Batman doesn't know which I think is a really cool, I mean, you know, it's like, like those movies where somebody wakes up hungover and they have to piece Piece together the night before that. that Dude, where's my cowl? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's funny. I like that. Um, Oh, the action sequence were, was good. I could hang on, hang on. It was really good, Jeff. Thank you. The more I think about it, dude, where's my cowl? It gets better. I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> Thank I appreciate you. you. Thank you for that. I also love the Batman of Zurn because We love the Morrison run. We did a whole podcast on it. You can listen to that Batman in quarantine mm-hmm. podcast. Um, There's probably not another one that'll show up in the search. Just try it. But I happens. think that what's cool is that that happened in RIP and like this backup personality that he had made was triggered, you mm-hmm. know, and he became it. And so we were introduced to the idea of it because he had reverted to it. I like the aspect of it in this regard where he like chooses to use it. Like it's a different thing. It's not like, Oh, Lex Luthor showed up and hit him with a kryptonite beam and it turned him into the Batman of Zurinar or something. It's like, no, he had done something and he went to, to go, you know, use this thing, this tool. It's, it's, it's like showing that Batman of Zurinar is kind of a tool, which I like Mm because, you know, we've only, this is only the second story with it. Um, I don't know if that made sense to everyone or not. I like that. He's not crawling out of an alley dressed like this he's just straight up batman i just love the, the idea that he could choose to become the batman of zero yeah. rather than it just yeah. being a thing that happens if he dies or almost dies yeah which is go ahead Roman. go, go ahead no, um i don't go. I won't. i'm not sure I, I can't i haven't decided yet how i feel about him because i'm not sure if i like him consciously choosing it i mean i, I want to see like okay he's steps back there and unlocks this case and i want to know well, what triggered because i don't know i kind of don't like that okay, he can just like put on that costume and that makes the tool less effective to me. Well, if he could just decide it. I totally agree. I hope he opens that box <clears> and <throat> it's like a strobe light that like if that light yeah. hits, it puts him in a coma or like if he uses this drug that can shut off his prefrontal cortex and he's no longer mm. the personality of Bruce and his back. You know, like some way where like he can use it, but I, I don't want him to be sort of like I'm Bruce being Batman as Zurinar, if that makes sense. How did sense. he activate it in the Morrison run? Did he get like hooked on drugs or something, or am I mashing up a couple characters from that run? No, they they kidnap him. Uh, they, full of like heroin, heroin and, coke, and street grade yeah. meth and shit, and then like he had forgotten who he was entirely, mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of embodied by uh, the Batmite character. Um, right. As, oh like, right, yeah, post hypnotic sort of. But there was also post-hypnotic triggers all over town written Zurin R so that when his consciousness was empty and he saw that it would fill it with that idea. Right. Um, But I totally agree with you, Roman. Yeah. I I don't want him to be like a conscious, like I put this suit on and then I'm the Batman of Zurin R. I, I I want him to like have to negate a portion of his brain to force his brain to like, you know, enter a safety backup or something. Yeah. Cause when the narration is internal dialogue monologue changes, into the purple captions i mean he's a different batman and yeah i want to i want to see that i just i'm excited for it because i love that concept and, and that costume and everything but i'm also kind of worried because i'm like oh I hope zadarsky can pull this off in a way that's as you know another cool zuran r and not just uh, i don't want to see zuran batman and zuran r become a thing that shows up like every, yeah, yeah every every couple years or something i mean i i love the idea that we're seeing it now because it's been 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. More. Since this. So is son. <clears throat> um, and it, yeah, I, every 12 years I'm cool with, but yeah, I don't want it to be used too often, but I do love that. It's one of those things. It's like, it was introduced in plain sight. And then it just enough time has gone by that. We're like, Oh wow. That, w- that would be great to come up now. Like enough time has gone by that. Like it felt surprising to see, but. Well, I'm glad that this reveal didn't happen four issues ago or something. Cause that would have been a real bummer. Yeah, because that would have been two issues yeah. before Zadarsky's run started, and fuck. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't trust most writers to handle the Batman of Zurinar, but I I think I think I trust Chip. I I trust he's a sad what, boy. Yeah. What'd you guys think of the backup in here? Did you read the backup, Jeff? Oh, um, sure. Okay, that was all right. I, I mean, didn't I, like it quite as much as the first one. I think I'm there too, but I do like the I like the weird little penguin daughter who shows up, like clearly a legitimate a, a legitimately illegitimate daughter 
Hi, Madison. Roman, what'd you think? Um, oh, I guess I didn't realize that was his daughter. I was like, where'd Penguin find a woman that looked just like him to have a son with? But yeah, she says it's her brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she's <laughs> come on, Penguin. My favorite. Where did this uh, robot lawyer dude come from? I've already it, forgotten previous that. issue. Yeah, is He's, he new for this run, or is he one of the thousands of characters that Jimmy T.A.V. put into a pile of spaghetti and threw at a wall to see if anyone <laughs> liked enough to stick? I think he's new. I mean, it's it seems like a Zadarsky creation more than a Tinian creation to me. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, he, his name is the executor, isn't it? Yeah. Which makes so, me yeah. think that he was created yeah. specifically to, to do, fill this role. But it seems like a fucking Jimmy TIV name. The executor, yeah. the yeah. underbroker, the punchliner, yeah. <laughs> the clown killer. I gave the whole issue a nine. Um, that's some real Jeff bait with that Zurin R thing, you know, and as bait for a lot of other people. But that's the kind of thing where I get real, real excited and probably lose a bit of activity. You got a 10 panel and a seven book. That's a nine. Nice. Um, I, I would give it an eight and a half. I wasn't super impressed with the fight or the the rest of it. I, I do like how it showed the power of failsafe. And there was a panel where Robin's helping Batman away from the fight. And the way Batman's hanging on him, I think, is an homage to uh, an older book. And I can't quite bring it to mind. Sure. Roman? Yeah. I also gave it a nine. I I do agree with your statement, Django. Like, it was a full fight issue for the most part. And that, you know, I don't love an action movie. I did like how many characters were in it and everything. Um, but then you throw that zero and R in there, and that's like a 10 for me. So I balanced it out yeah. at a nine. Yeah, I, I I think that's a good a good score. And and even the fight wasn't bad. It was just no, it was good, uh, but... just a little long for what I was hoping for. I, I want more of that Zadarsky Plotsky. Yeah. Roman? So Django, you you didn't you were totally unfazed by our gimmick where we started the podcast while you were out of the room. Oh yeah. I, I'm looking forward to listening to the beginning and, and find out what you told people I was doing while I was taking a weird shit. So Roman, you read Golden Rage and wanted to talk about the first issue of that this week from Image Comics, written by Chrissy Williams, Lauren Knight, Sophie Dodson, and Becca Carey. It was super weird, guys. Yeah, I mainly just wanted to hear what you guys, because it wasn't what I, quite what I expected. I mean, yeah, it was a weird comic. Yeah. Yeah. From the title, I expected like a funny, you know, slasher satire of Golden Girls. And that's not quite what it is. So what did you think of it? And what is it for the people uh, who don't know anything about it? I'm mildly intrigued. I'll, I'll probably read the second issue. Um, it's about our protagonist who ends up uh, stuck on this island with trying because these women kind of kidnap her slash rescue her from these raging older women who are just killing other people, mainly other older women. Um, and this ragtag group uh, takes her to their cave underneath the lighthouse, which that's cool. It's like a Scooby-Doo plot um, and pr- trying to hide her and protect her from these, these raging psychopathic grandmothers. And we don't really know why not yet. Something about it was incomplete for me. I think it was mm. not a good first issue. I, I could, I, I, I just could see that. Do you think it would have been better if it was longer? Like would, do you want a slower buildup or a faster buildup or just a second issue to figure out what I the hell? I think I want more and this is Jeff saying exposition at the beginning. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know what happened. I finished reading and I had to go back and be like, okay, well, why did she go? Why, who are these people? What is this? How did they, how is any of this going on? And I did not like or care about anybody by the end of the issue enough to have wanted to learn more about them. All that said, I kind of went into it. I talked to Jane a little bit about it. Like the pitch for this is golden girls meets fight club, which is a fun idea, (laughs) but I've never seen golden girls. I have no interest in it. And I, (laughs) <laughs> hate to be closed minded, but it feels like some kind of hipster ironic thing that like a bunch of 30 year olds are all now ironically into this show about a bunch of old women. I don't really it's like, what if we all got really into Sanford and Son, which I think is a good show. I'm not saying Golden Girl isn't a good show, but it's like, why is Yeah, what is what is you know, like, or what if everyone was just like, yeah, we all love I Love Lucy. Like, let's make board games. Let's make birthday party <laughs> equipment. Let's make sure there's tiki cups with them. And we have the Golden Girls tiki cups. I just, yeah. I don't get it. I asked Sean, I was like, is it ironic? This was like a month ago. And he's like, no, it's not ironic. It's a really good show. And I'm like, 
he's like, you'd like it. I'm like, there is no chance that I would rather watch that show than a bunch of the stuff that I want to watch right now. Like, there's <laughs> no chance that, but maybe. Erica swears by it too. Like she, she sings the theme song for people's birthdays and shit. Like, I agree that it's got some weird resurgence, but you know what? So does Bob Ross. And that's from a similar era and, mm. and holds a similar amount of interest to me. That's um, a- a funny show it can still make me laugh if i happen to catch one but, but yeah i'm not gonna seek it out mainly because i watched it you know when it was on originally i'm not gonna get too into the weeds with the bob ross comparison because i can i can i can work on explaining that one but let's not i can't understand golden girls there's not a bob ross comic that came out this week so i'm gonna leave it <laughs> are you sure so i, I thought it, it was confusing sorry roman please yeah i well i needed i felt like i needed a reason to care about the conflict there was so mm-hmm. little yeah. explanation of why the they call them the red hats and i don't even know why they call them the red hats the psycho Cause, grandmothers because they're all wearing red hats in the first two pages are, are they but well, i agree like the I second page i oh, guess okay. that's what i think about this being a failed comic a failed first issue is that it didn't make me care about anyone or anything enough to want to know where the next issue was going like Mm -hmm. i finished like a two-page sequence in this and i was like all right what the fuck just happened i gotta go back and it was like i've been following this narration kind of about age loosely but it doesn't i don't know this main character i don't know if i like this main character i don't know if i like the people that she's with am i supposed to like them like it i didn't think the art was bad but yeah yeah if you don't know why these other grandmothers older women are killing people i didn't feel there wasn't any weight to the threat because there's just you're told there's a threat. <laughs> well, and, and it's okay. <laughs> it, like, I don't think it's far from a really compelling first issue, but something is a little bit off. And I wonder if it's I'm not familiar with the the writer, um, Chrissy Williams, but maybe maybe that's part of it. Like maybe they just missed a little bit of the magic that makes a comic interesting or, or compelling in, in a first issue. Cause it feels like it could almost be like a shirtless bear fighter kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But it takes but itself the tone too seriously. Was all wrong. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm curious enough to read the next one and see if things start to gel. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with you guys that this, this wasn't a super strong first outing. Yeah. My favorite thing about the story of this first one was, was I was like, wow, this Island's really cool. Yeah. And that <laughs> cool hot tub there. Yeah. Um, the hot springs come with me. The, if you want a lighthouse. Bath. Hey Django, <laughs> have you been to the movie theaters recently? Yeah. I saw Thor last night. Have you seen that trailer for a movie that basically seems almost exactly like eat the rich? No. What is it? I don't remember the name. Uh, uh, I'm just yeah, curious. What, I've seen that? it two times huh. now and it's I like, have, yeah, I think I have too. Yeah, I can't help but and this book reminded me of it a little bit. I was like, we got like another cult island book thing here. Um Yeah, this this feels like uh uh Lord of the Flies but with old people. Yeah? Yeah. Right? Like all stuck on an island together and and infighting and um you know, Lord of the Flies had the that's where that's where MAGA came from, right? Like they had the MAGA hats and Lord of the Flies and they were I do think that MAGA <laughs> a lot of the basis for what MAGA has done is uh Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Um, that's why they put a pig as their leader. That's all the little hands too. Little child hands everywhere. Um, yeah, I can't remember what this movie is called. I just I don't have enough keywords to be able to find it out. But it, anyway, huh. it seems like uh basically that. Um anyway. Sorry, uh tangential. What'd you guys give this book? I'll give it a seven. I gave it a six. I gave it a six point five. Nice. So we all. Oh, that's a good range. Roman, that kind of surprised me. I thought based on the, the preamble, which we try to hide um, from each other so we don't spill juice upon one another's laps, um, uh, that you maybe liked it more. But I, I I always feel vindicated when I'm within a half point of Roman. <laughs> um, all right, boys and girls, let's travel. Uh, we've talked about pretty much every issue this series. So we're not going to belabor the point too long, but Batman Killing Time by Tom King and uh, <clears throat> David Batman Marquez. Book. Yep, uh, this miniseries wrapped up. Uh, one of the shortest Tom King books that we've ever read uh, outside of Superman <laughs> Up, Up and Away or whatever that was called. Um, what did you guys think about just the landing of this comic or in this series as a whole? And we won't spend too much time on it. I thought it was pretty good, although I didn't quite understand the last page, which I've come to terms Tom with King. when reading a Tom <laughs> King book. Like, oh, I guess maybe I got to read the whole thing again to understand the last the whole thing that he was trying to tell us. Um I think this series was really successful. Uh, I like the structure and I like that by the end, you understand why the structure. Uh, I like that they hid the main antagonist until the very last page Mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm. second to last issue. Um, I like that 
that there were actual stakes and Batman's smoke bombs were pretty rad. <laughs> smoke bombs, whatever, whatever he dropped when he was yeah. falling back to the earth. Um, and I wish that DC had the balls to uncensor swear words in Batman comic books. Yeah, that one full extra point. Yeah, that one agent, she was she annoyed she was annoying me so much, but I agree. That with this issue, I just pretty much like skipped all of her dialogue because I was like, okay, she's too annoying. Yeah. Give me some fuck bombs. We all know we're all saying it in our head, DC. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't say fuck, we make every curse word fuck and you're actually doing more damage that way. I make some of them worse. I do think Tom King kind of leans into it almost as a joke in the same way he does like I'll break your damn damn back or bat and yeah. cat. You know, like I think he uses uh curse word obfuscation, obfuscation, uh well. Um I think it was pretty successful as well, you guys. I agree with that. I think it was a really fun journey. I think Rorschach is a comic that worked super, super well to have a month between issues. Mm -hmm. I think this six-issue mini will work will work really well to read in one sitting. Yes. Um, just agree. based on the story. But I do agree, Jane, with what kind of what you said with the final page. I don't necessarily understand the motivation of Clock King for all of this, um, yeah. other than it just being the way that he passes time is to sort of keep track of time and kind of, if you view time as a string to tie infinite, beautiful knots with time as a string. And this is just sort of mm -hmm. some instance of him tying a beautiful knot or something. Um, and I'm curious what Roman thinks at the end of this whole thing, how the hearkening back to this ancient story, um, if there was a poetry to it, if there was, you know, a meditation to it, Tom, this book, much like many of Tom King's things are sort of like, you know, if a tree falls in the wood, does anybody hear it? And no one's around to hear it doesn't make a sound. You know, like, that's what I love about Tom King books is I'm not giving you an answer. I'm giving you a question for you yeah. to be able to find different answers with throughout the course of your life. And I think when that's done, but I'm curious, Roman, did you make more sense of those sort of, I know you also like mythology and stuff. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, I thought it was all very cool and well done. And I, I thought it was very cool that Tom King, you know, made the Clock King a interesting and dangerous and cool villain, you know, because he's one of those villains that's never been cool. Right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know the, the ending. Yeah, I don't know either if Clock King just did all this simply to amuse himself with play. Well, he doesn't really kind of playing with time, but not really. Because um, the whole eye of god or whatever it was supposed to be is it really doesn't seem at all important to him yeah and also the aspect where he lost like a minute or two like i'm curious kind of what the importance of that is but i do think that when you reread a tom king thing as a whole and i think one especially that works well in one sitting like i think this one does i bet there's yeah. uh much more is availed Pro probably probably i did like that bit how he lost a minute and it and his veneer broke and he showed his own yeah. psychopathy if you want to call it that around obsession with time and everything and just because it's a second or minute off or whatever, he, he destroys his clock but yeah. he loves clocks so that's significant well that last page happens a month before yeah which is him maybe just getting set up to do all this i don't know yeah i don't know i'd like to read the whole thing again yeah they mentioned earlier in the issue that i forget who says it but somebody got the eye off of a stewardess who was given to it by somebody on a plane oh, yeah. okay and then they show it okay yeah. i forget who said that i think batman's questioning some fence or something yeah i all in all solid book solid series um i wish the covers were a little more compelling and i hope that the trade paperback has mm. has a great cover because uh it, it would be easier to sell with different covers i think yeah uh i gave this issue an eight and i think i'm going to give the series as a whole 8.5 or a nine right in there a good same, same. good batman story but i don't necessarily know that when someone's in like Hey, I want to read the best Batman story. If I would be like, well, this is the one, you know, this mm -hmm. is probably in that tier two, tier three Batman book. Mm -hmm. So if they do come in, they want the best Clock King story. Yeah, now we've got, we've it. got it. <laughs> Rome, what was your um, score? I'll give it an 8.5 for the issue and say a solid nine for the entire series. Hell yeah. Um, well, 9 .5. you got a, I got a couple Shazam cats on my hands and there's okay. a new champion of Shazam. Uh, I didn't read it, but with you two Shazam hounds, mind giving me a little rundown, you little hound down, hound run. Sorry. A run hound. <laughs> run down. Shazam. Shazam man. Um, new champion of Shazam. Number one by uh, Josie Campbell with art by Evan Doc Shaner. I like Doc Shaner's art quite a bit. And I think that that probably pulled me through this whole issue. I, I didn't, 
think the story was amazing, uh, but I thought that the the art's great and the story is um, certainly not bad. Uh, just not, it's maybe just a little lightweight for my tastes. Uh, what, what did you think, Roman? Yeah, it, I, I was expecting lightweight just because of who the character is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the art definitely added so much to it. It's, um, it's a fun story, you know, in the Rebirth universe, Mary Bromfield, uh, who I think nowadays is Billy Batson's, she used to be his cousin. Or his sister? I don't know. She's really she's just adopted. Yeah, she's yeah she's adopted sister, I guess. To match um, the movie that everybody forgot came out. All right. Yeah. Okay. There we go. This is the issue where she goes off to college and she's all excited. And, and I like the fact that one of her new roommates has a has a bunny named Hoppy because Hoppy was Hoppy the Marvel bunny back in oh right the golden age I think or late golden age who was a rabbit an anthropomorphic rabbit that had the powers of Captain Marvel Shazam. So it's cool that that's in here and it's used to communicate with her from Billy, who's trapped on the Rock of Eternity. And I always liked Mary Marvel. But one of the things I wonder, I hope they address in this series, is she doesn't wear any kind of mask. She doesn't, like, vibrate her face like Golden Age Flash so nobody can identify his features. So I'm always like, well, how is she a college student? How does she have a life? And yet people see her, Mary Marvel, and go, hey, look, it's Mary. Well, I don't know that I'd be looking at her face if she appeared in that costume. Well, that's true. Oh, yeah. And she didn't tell everybody her name's Marina, which that's going to got to come up that she instantly lied to all of her classmates. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was, oh, go ahead. Oh, it's just, it was just cute the way she did it. Um, I like I like this book. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But I really hope and I hope this is part of the plan for by issue four. It's a four issue series that by issue four, she's actually called Mary Marvel or you know, Shazam or something, because the new champion of Shazam, which she's referred to in this issue, I think by Hoppy, that is such a boring, clunky title. <laughs> I mean, she might just be called Shazam, right? Yeah. I mean, Do I they it... call her the new champion of Shazam in here? Yeah. Hoppy the bunny refers to her that way a few Ooh. times. And she doesn't want to be a superhero. She wants to concentrate on being a college student. Right. Um, but I'm yeah. flipping through this again, man. And the art is amazing. If I had one nitpick with the art, it would be that her college roommates look like they're about 36 years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I can't put my finger on it. It's not their faces. It's their outfits that are just straight up. Not, not the right age, but uh, yeah, that panel where she turns into Shazam is gorgeous. And the bad guy uh, disaster master, every drawing of him, I, I think is pretty awesome. He's like a little creepy mole dude. Yeah. And that page where she first turns into Shazam or whatever she's going to be called. I love the 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 burst, the light burst that that the artist put or made the letter, I don't know, put behind the word Shazam. Just yeah. looks great. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, well, Roman, on a scale of one bunny to ten hoppies, what do you give it? Um, I'm looking at my list because uh, I don't alphabetize these things. I just write them down as I read them. <laughs> Disaster. Are you, you, are you supplying <laughs> data to the comic book industry? Because it sounds, sounds like, like you're you making series yes. codes over yes. there, Roman. <laughs> uh, I gave it an 8.5. Nice. I gave it a 7.5. Good stuff. Hell yeah. Not, I might have gave it a 9 if they just out just came right out and just called her Mary Marvel. <laughs> I don't. Are they allowed to? I don't know. I They settled all that in the 70s, I thought. I mean, I still want Shazam to be called Captain Marvel because that's well, they, who he is. They settled it and they haven't called them anything Marvel since then. Yeah. So you, not might, on, not, you might not get this. Yeah. Not on covers, um, but inside the issues, they were always good. Oh, and okay. Yeah. And I didn't think it mattered with Mary Marvel because, you know, anybody could have the last name mm-hmm. Marvel. I mean, when I was a kid, I had a dentist who's was a doc marvel wow yeah makes sense in roman's life though hey roman do you want to talk for just a quick second about uh edge of spider verse number one this is a new mini series coming out seems like this is the third spider verse series we've had yeah there's a whole Slot, lot of spider verse slot um, has had writ has written two of them and i yeah, think now he's coming back to write a third and this yeah is leading into that sorry please yeah and he had uh he had the first story in this one which was only like a couple page story yeah um and I don't have a copy in front of me. I, I, I read it at the store. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to remember. There was a dinosaurs, a spider dinosaur story. Well, so Yeah. So the first one is the dance lot one. There's like a sort of swashbuckling Scottish Spider-Man fighting the Redcoats. Ah. I thought that was dance lot. And I thought that was pretty good. It was three pages long. Yeah. It was a fun voice. Um, but the crux the of spider this layered. is. Yeah. It's spider layered. We have a bunch of, we have four different spider people that we see and, Madam Webb shows up because they're like, you got to come help fight this big thing that's coming. Um, 
I would say, sadly, we spent the most time with the most poorly written of the stories, which was the Aranya story. Mm, right. um, and it's pretty blah. It also says it takes place in Earth 616, which is confusing because I don't really know this character. She's like a Hispanic spider woman. Um, most of the issue is that not very well written, not very well explained. That one was pretty weak. Uh, but then it closes with the dinosaur story, which is only five pages. And I thought was pretty fucking adorable. Uh, it didn't make much sense. But at one point you see an adorable dino shoot webbing out of its little tiny raptor arms or tiny <laughs> tyrannosaurus arms. And I thought that was pretty great. It's a good but, way to break your arms trying to swing from a building. But I have never read the original Spider-Man noir. And there is a six page Spider-Man noir story with a 22 page comics worth of dialogue in it. And it was like the noiriest comic I've ever read. It was like so noir. Roman, did it? Is that how the original Spider-Man noir is? And did you like that one? That was my favorite story in the issue. Yeah, I think it was um, the best. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I think I liked the original Spider-Man noir, but I don't remember. That was more than a few months ago, so I don't remember. Django, have you um, read that one? I don't think I've read the original one, but I really liked the one that they did two or three yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, that mostly based on the art and the setting. I, yeah. I think the writing was a little clumsy, but the the aesthetic of it was great. Dude, this Spider-Man noir story is the art is awesome. Who is it? It's all sapia tone. Um, the creative team is. Let me flip to the front of the book because every book keeps them in a different spot. Um, Dustin Weaver. And DJ Bryant are the storytellers. So you know what? It's Dustin Weaver art, I believe. And that nice. makes sense because he's phenomenal. Um, but it was so noir, right, Roman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was great. I mean, yeah. The, all the all the heavy. I mean, you can almost hear the voiceover narration. Of, yeah, hear the rain falling. Django, I think you would yeah. really like this six-page story in the back. Nice. I'll have to and, check it out. And he does the typical thing that he's, you know, meets this femme fatality, shouldn't get involved with. And of course he does. Is, is it like a noir? Yeah. And it's angsty and he like becomes a madman who's just drinking himself to death at the end and he's, something's wrong with his eyes. But what I liked and I cannot remember because I have not finished or read comprehensively. I mean, there was Spider-Geddon and Spider-Verse. And I think both of them had that guy in the robot thing with like the spider body was the bad guy. And I thought that was dumb. Um, but this, you know, like morbid or morgid or more. Anyway. Um, Mor Moreland. Yeah, Moreland. Moreland. And this one has the Wasp character, who, which was introduced in Straczynski's Spider-Man run. And the, the Zeb Wells Spider-Man thing with Romita right now is hearkening back to that Straczynski run as well, which also had Romita art in it. Um, I like that we're getting some focus on that Straczynski run because I have not finished it. But I, in the pandemic, I read the first half of it and really enjoyed it. But uh, it seems like that's the villain that we're maybe facing here. And that makes me more interested to want to read the whole thing because uh, it's not. I like Slot's writing, but I don't like his plotting. Or something. Huh. I don't know. I I I respect Slot, but I was really tired of his Spider-Man by the end of it. And then we went through years of me being like, I wish Slot was back. And <laughs> I like the current stuff more than Slot stuff, but um, he is good at a thing. So uh, I mean, I, I can't put my finger on for sure what it is. I like his writing, but yeah, is it, he's Fantastic making Fantastic Four. No, I do not like that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't like anything he's done lately, but uh, I don't I don't mean to hate oh, him because he's a sweet curious boy. to see what you think of his his new Spider-Man book just called Spider-Man. About time. Him and and Mark I think Bagley. it's is it really? Yeah, good. And it's not out. It, yet. No, in a month or two. I think talk about out. two things I don't want to read. <laughs> yeah. Dan hey Spider-Man some more and Mark Bagley art. You want a throwback? What if that throwback threw back? But this whole spider <laughs> Aranya story looks like bad Bagley art, but. Yeah, I'm so yeah, the Aranya story, because I do remember when they introduced her and she was supposed to be, you know, a big deal, new spider character and um uh Mexican American? I'm not sure. Yes, yes. But she was kind of overshadowed by Miles Morales and then everybody just forgot about her until now. Uh but the Spider-Man Noir and Spider Rex stories are really, really good. So I rated this book really just since it was four separate stories of varying length, I just threw out the shit I didn't like. I gave the two that I liked an eight, which was the spiders uh, dinosaur story and the hmm. and the noir story. So Roman, what'd you give it? Um, I didn't break it up like that, which I, yeah. I like that you did that. That's better. I, I gave the whole thing overall a six because I yeah. really did. I really only liked the uh, the spider layered two pages and the yeah. and the Spider Man noir. It sadly devoted most of the comic book to the absolute weakest of the four stories. So that, that was yeah. the bummer. Hey, Django, do you guys want to talk about that Texas blood for a minute? Man, you know, we want to talk about that Texas blood <laughs> you know for what? a minute. 
I can't remember. I think I said we talked about every issue, which we probably do, but I actually conflate New Burn and that Texas Blood together in my head because <laughs> I don't read either. And you guys both love them to the moon and back. And we do talk about a lot of them. But tell, tell me about this. They're one. both the same artist, right? Jacob Phillips draws both of them, I believe. Maybe. Um, this is Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips at Texas Blood, number 16. One of the lowest image comic subscription numbers that we have in the store. 100%. And also one of the best comics coming out right now. I think anybody who likes um, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips stuff should be reading that Texas Blood. I think anybody who likes anything crimey or just that has really good character development owes it to themselves to read this. Um, it's kind of a slow boil. You really, really get the characters uh, like voices in your head as you're reading it. It has back matter that doesn't feel like a chore to read and, and actually adds quite a bit to the story and the, the world and the legacy of these characters that we're just meeting for the first time. And this is issue 16 and it's, it's this series has spanned probably 40 years of this cop's uh, career, wouldn't you say, Roman? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just good. It's, it's tense and it's horror tinged and it's full of crime. And I mean, we've, we've told you this 16 times. So how come, <laughs> how come you guys aren't reading it yet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this series, it's like, if this was a show, it, it would be like, I don't know, a companion show to Fargo, except set in Texas. And oh, hundred percent. And, and following the same character. <laughs> yeah. But over his entire career. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's a really good call, Roman. And, and and like right down to the paneling, like this this shot with the the truck mm. coming through the snow and the murderer going up to the house, like that is that is some amazing pacing yeah. in a comic book. Like you, I heard the guy pause for a moment to put on his gloves. Hmm. <laughs> you heard the snow crunch under his feet. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's slow and deliberate and um, somehow one of the most expert comics by two people who haven't really been doing this for very long. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, you're right. The the outdoor scenes and the snowstorm, it's one of the few times I've seen a snowstorm in comics where it's like, wow, I, I can almost feel that. You can hear the sound of footsteps in the snow. There's this shot mm. from above mm. of the cars driving through the snow and you can see the back out and then go forward tracks. And it's just... Hmm. I don't know. I've spent enough time in the snow that that is perfect. And then the next panel is not white. It's snow. It's mm. so good. <laughs> so fucking good. Um, 10. Yeah. It gets a 10. Yeah. Yeah. Every issue I think for me has been a nine or a 10. And yeah, this is another one. If I had one quibble with the series, it would be the um, dialogue for the main character really turned me off for the first two or three issues. Cause he, he puts well, before almost every single word balloon. I remember you guys talking about that early on. Yeah. It's just the way this guy who is in my life now talks. Like it's not, it's not weird. It it's, it's been consistent with him the whole time. It's just his, his patter. I, I believe that this is probably one of the highest caliber comics coming out on the stands right now. I, I, my, the fact that I have not read any of it is exclusively my resistance to the genre but yeah. <laughs> I wish that I was not 16 issues behind now because I want to be a part of it with you guys. And Django, if you catch up on something with me, I'll catch up on that with you. Yeah. Sold. And, and I should mention, I mean, this is part three of this current storyline and you could go back and read the last two issues and this issue yeah. and you'd be fine. Yeah. I want to read there's... it all. Cause it's clearly fucking good. Like if there's, I have no doubt in my mind that it's some of the best comic book yeah. coming out. But that each is, story is modular, 100%. Right, that's what I heard. Yeah. yeah, I heard the yeah. most recent one that was very, very good. It's like, it, yeah. you know, he's much older in or something, you know, so. It yeah, is I, funny. I, I remember it's kind of, and I was bothered by the Wells at first too, the first few issues. And now it is, it's just his speech patterns. And, you know, you can hear the different tones that he s says with well and how that changes the meaning of that one little word. I feel like I remember the episode where you guys kind of like cracked that where you were like, it's yeah. I mean, I, I just have been around this, this book. So um, tens, I love it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> well guys, I'm going to do my 10 for the week. Did either of you guys read mind management bootleg number two? No, I didn't read the first one. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> did you read the I first one Roman? I did, but after after you after guys talked about it. Well, this one is Matt Kent writing it. The first one was Feral Dalrymple doing the art, and this issue is Matt Lisniewski doing the art, who did the art in Crimson Lotus, I think it was called, Crimson Flower. Crimson Flower. Um, and it follows up right on that first issue, but it's Matt Lisniewski art. 
Um, this to me holistically feels like the best Grant Morrison when he's firing on all cylinders. And it reminds me very much of him and his writing and the way it makes me feel. Uh, a Grant Morrison I have not encountered reading comics in many years. Um, but this is, you know, it's it's the best of paranoia and large concepts, highly detailed, but then not choosing to elaborate on them like you know bad is a force and good is a force but like you know but you got your secret agency trying to train the people to be wise and you got the bad guys called the bad guys hunting them down um and it is you know i've never read the original mind management and i really want to now Mm -hmm. but you know the art is a 10 bar none that guy is so amazing he's amazing the art is unbelievable uh probably better than the first issue's art this is so much Jeff Darrow and Mike Allred and which is the weirdest combination you can come up with those three Allred Darrow and Bertram because there's tubes everywhere um (laughs) but you know like you know in the first issue we had the organization recruit the boy the main guy the man Mm -hmm. and, and then that man goes to recruit another boy and you know he recruits him and they're running and they go through the gutters their alleys and they encounter one of the bad guys and the bad guy is just sort of this person wrapped in what looks like kind of like paper, but then the paper is exuding like messages that say things like gummy worms, buy one, get one free sour apple gum, peanut butter cups, yummy flakes, 25% off cheesy bites, cookies. Like, and it's this idea that the bad guys are trying to, you know, they talk about the bad guys are trying to create blank slates out of people because people are easier to control when they don't have thoughts for themselves. And the way that they do that is through advertising and misinformation, um, like very Morrisonian concepts. Minds. Yeah. Occultism, uh, Morrisonian concepts, the invisibles. But it's done with some of the best art that two issues have ever shown me. And it is fun. It's doing that same thing at the end of the issue where there's four full pages of text. He's like, Hey, if you want a deeper look into the creation of mind management management, um, here's what, you know, like here's messages between the writer and the artist and it's script pages. And it's all for pages that in panels that don't get drawn, that are not shown even <laughs> kind of, um, then there's a, you know, there's a seven page backup story. That's just done on small notebook paper that I think Mike or that Matt Kent, I believe is doing himself huh. that is tangentially related the front and back panels are in it, like everything they're using all of the comic, but not just in the way that it's sort of like sometimes like Lemire will do where it's like, oh, yeah, you drew images on the front cover. Like, no, the fact that it's the front cover of a comic matters for the fact that it's then in this, you know, like because back pages are usually ignored. Information is then being presented on this page and the first page in that regard. It's absolutely visionary and i need to read the original mind management if it is of this tone and i know that matt can't also do the art in the original mind management so i'm very curious to engage in more of his art but to have gotten feral dalrymple and then matt lisniewski and two issues is two of the most auteur artists out there um doing a story that is very morrisonian Easily my favorite thing I've read from Matt Kent since Grass King. Nice. I'm going to say that. So here's a question. Please. You want to read the old mind management. Mm -hmm. Is this a book that you would prefer to read in the nice hardcovers? Or is it something that you think would be augmented by the single issues? Mm. That's a really good question. Because if they do what they are doing with this, with the original one, I would want to read Mm -hmm. any issues. I would also try to give Matt Kent credit enough to think that if he's collecting a book that does this, he would embed those pages in it in a way. Yeah, but that feels like it might be different, right? So like it could totally be uh, embedded in there, but is it the same if it's not the last pages and the inside back cover of the comic? I agree. That's a a good point. That's a really good point. That I just realized the back cover is that one panel I showed you guys of the bad guy, Mm. just like with all of the crazy information. And like, it's just amazing. Um, They're telling a story in an incredible way. 10 out of 10 absolutely blew my mind both times uh with both issues and i think this one's even better so if you have read matt kent books and like them read this if you like grant morrison books read this if you don't care about story and just love incredible art in a comic read this but um i've given issue one and two ten so y'all have been warned so that's gonna be a four issue series total okay and uh, i'm trying to bring up a, a thing to tell us who's doing the 
Third issue. Third issue. It might be Rubin. Ooh, that would be, yeah, that's a Kent artist. That would make sense. Um, I don't have that information at my fingertips. Um, Hey, Roman, before we get out of here, you and I have a disagreement point that we haven't clarified on X-Men Red number five by Al Ewing Ooh. and Stefano Caselli. I liked it. You did not. What's up? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. That's It's part of my age, boy. Three is part, David Rubin. Part of the uh, problem I had with this issue is all the black, um, all the, all the, uh, and Lisnewski does. Sorry. All the, all the text, all the texts. I forget what they're called. Captions. Yeah. 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 Um, they're all in, they're all black background with white lettering. And I realized like, I don't know, four pages in or something. It was really hard for me to read those mm-hmm. and it got annoying because most of the issue is that. 100%. And, yeah. And the rest, it was just all, you know, um, the deviant eternal, whatever he is. Uranus. Um, Uranus. Um, he's attacking Araco now. And, and it was just a lot for me. It was just a long, like, okay, here he is attacking everybody and just destroying the mutants left and right. He even beats Magneto and messes up cable. And I kind of, I don't know. I just, I just kind of didn't care. I was flipping through it going, okay, there's what so-and-so down. There's so-and-so down. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good point. It is, it is just this like, the bones of what it is, is this bad guy showing up and basically killing almost everyone on Mars, Arako. The execution of it, I like the gravitas <laughs> of. Execution. Yeah, I love the gravitas <laughs> of it because like he shows up and he's like, I have, yeah, he shows up and says, mutants of Mars, I am Uranus. You have deviated excessively and I have one hour to correct you. And then we just get into this countdown of T plus 29 seconds and counting because the first couple pages count down to it. And mm. then he gets there. And he kills all of the people, except for Magneto and this other person. I don't know because I've been reading the series within 20 minutes. And then it just says like, and he made use of his next 40 minutes. And he's standing on this this pile of bones and everything is destroyed. Uh, And then he takes off and Magneto, I don't really understand how, but Magneto is still alive at the end. And uh, I like the narration because it was sort of like, you always make sure that you kill all the mutants. You always make sure. And he did. <laughs> um, and then, then, you know, yep, and yep. then the final pan, a little preview text is the hour of Magneto begins. So I love this idea of like, this was the hour of Uranus. Oh. And this is the hour of Magneto coming up. Okay. Um, see, see, I didn't even get that hour of Magneto. Okay. Because I couldn't read the captions very well. I didn't and, even, I quit. I ignored the countdown. And the, Okay, so that that is where all of the text of the issue resides, but I totally understand that. But yeah, so like it's very Batman killing time, which is like T plus eight minutes and 49 seconds in the settlement of Argai, Planitia, the Brotherhood of the Oracle. Like it's it's very like killing time, Tom King-esque, but the tech, the font is bad. The bubbles are bad. Um, But I also like, yeah, there's like I loved this like Zelo insect formation Zelo unleashes the insects and invertebrates that form him. They sound as they they can score scour a human body to the bone in seconds. This disgusts Uranus. But he like, you know, <laughs> then he and then it says like Uranus methodically reduces the collective that is Zylo to 13.5% of its total mass. Millennia of eyes of eyewitness history lost forever. Just like it, it was it's almost executed exactly like that Batman Killing Times whole series, yeah. but for just one issue. I really liked the execution and or sorry. Yeah, I did. I mean, execution, not the how it was, uh, <laughs> how it was done, not how it killed things. Um, and he, I haven't been reading X-Men me. Red. Yeah, he does. He shoves a hand through his chest. And then oh, you he, have. I thought you've been reading this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I read issue one, did not care for it and dipped out. And then everyone was very into issue four. And then I follow like com- our comic books and our X-Men on Reddit and people have been very excited about this issue. So I thought I'd give it a go today. Oh. And I, I, re- I really liked the execution of it. Um, I gave it an 8.5 and it made me, I think that this humans, Avengers, X-Men, Eternals <clears throat> cluster fucking of event um, is really good. And I think if they tried to get fewer sales and just called it in or sorry, uh, Eternals versus X-Men, it would be way better because I have no interest in the human component of this outside of them kind of acting as backup for X-Men, but it's really just Eternals versus the mutants. It's the Eternals trying to kill the mutants because one on one on one is hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Django doesn't ever do a threesome as hard as I try to get him to do it. Only got one arm. He's only got one arm. (laughs) Did you guys give scores for that? I did Uh, 8.5 Roman. Did you? Um, I gave it a six. Yeah. Cause you you didn't care for it, which I I totally get. And I, though I do love that a line about, 
you know, you've deviated too far. And, yeah. They're, and I really, and I really want to know how Magneto's up at the end after he's had his heart ripped out. And what the fuck he's going to do. Yeah. Because he can just pump iron, the, the, the iron in his blood through his body. Perhaps. His heart. The image in it, the, there's a hole through his whole body, but there's some stuff going on in there. So yeah, I, I love that idea, Django. That's actually really cool. Is the other that. survivor the first person that he met there who he talked with before he built his house? No, um, I don't. I don't really know. I, I didn't know the character because the, the Fisher King. Luke. Yeah, the, the, no, they, oh no, yeah. but he is in this. Yeah, they do show him, and he's not involved in the battle. Can but I? Yeah, it's like guys... Locus or something. I don't know some oh, some okay. person some whose name, name I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you guys something else that I uh, I've been reading and and liking despite a lot of things about it? Yeah, Roman, we got your score on that. We've wrapped up everything else. Django, now we're just in the home stretch. Make us comfortable. DC versus vampires, man. No. <laughs> it's on issue eight of 12. I've read every single one of them. The art is Otto Schmidt bit, this week. Yeah, it's a little bit clumsy, but I liked it. But it's Otto Schmidt. Yeah, it's not. It's. I don't think it's the Otto Schmidt that you love, though. I I flipped through it. I love it. Do you? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I love his art across the board. I've liked this whole thing mostly because it's doing like deceased level interesting things with characters under distress. Um, like remember in the first issue, they uh, was it Green Lantern? I think yeah. killed the one Wonder of the Wonder Twins. Twins. Yeah, in a blender or something. Yeah. But ever since he died, apparently Jaina has had both of their powers all the time. Oh, interesting. That's and so cool she idea. shows up again. I, I was really glad to see her show up because I thought. I thought this is a weird thing for them to do is is kill Zan uh, and not bring him back. You know, I thought that maybe he was going to turn into water in the like all, all his blood would turn into water in the sewers or something. But instead, they bring Jaina mm-hmm. back as, as somebody with both of the powers. The one strange Highlander. thing about this is that there are a lot of Oops. very dirty sexual innuendo. Oh, I was right. <laughs> there That's... is. Yeah, I didn't notice that in previous issues, but a lot I in this either. one. I, I felt like Tynion and Rosenberg are maybe trying to see if they can sneak stuff past the, the editors or something. That's got to be the Rosenberg influence. Tynion is way <laughs> too straight edge. And he, he knows. Actually, Rosenberg is literally straight edge. So Yeah, as well, like... as well, yeah is it just because it's, it's Green Arrow and Black Canary and they're always... And Otto Warning. Schmidt's one of the sexiest <laughs> artists out there. Well, there's that, but there's also Dick hanging out with, I think it's Starfire in, in, in a dream. And he's like, there's one thing I've always desired that I still don't have, you. And then she says, or he says, is that why you're coming? And it like, it's a so close I, up. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, that's That's crazy because I thought that that, you know, Jan- Roman last week or two weeks ago, I thought that one Avengers thing mentioned coming. And then you just, you pointed out that that's just a language thing that I did wrong. Um, but it shocked me to see the word coming in a comic book. And this one sounds like, but also then you this think about C-O-M-I-N-G. like, O-M-I-N-G. Yeah. 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 But and, then and, you think about vampires are like this about sexuality. Yes. And at some point, Damien says, talking about his mom to Constantine, he says, if you get me killed, she'd chew you up and spit you out. And John says, you let her know I'm well up for it. Just like he wants Talia to bondage mm. him up, which I thought was, uh, I mean, it's its totally in character, but just, I don't know, there were, there were three or four things in this issue that I was like, is that I love it. supposed yeah. to be filthy? Because it's kind of it. filthy. I, I had to I had to reread the, the Nightwing dream sequence because I was like, yeah, he says that right after he sinks his fangs into Starfire, but he's speaking to Barbara Gordon, who's trying to sneak up behind him. Was he like redheads or something? Oh, yeah, he's got a thing for redheads. I know. Jango's <laughs> <laughs> uh, read a Batman comic before. Have you? What about Spider-Man? No, he doesn't. Uh, Spider-Man about, just likes chicks with tits. What about what about Patsy Walker, Hellcat? What this were is, your yeah. scores for never, it? Never read it. Um, I don't know, man, like a seven and a half, but it's like a seven and a half that I'm eight issues in on, so... <laughs> I don't know. I haven't I haven't thought that there's been an amazing issue, but there have been amazing concepts in almost every issue. Yeah, I, I that's yeah, I agree with that. Cool stuff. I think I gave it a seven. I, I didn't like either either of the spinoffs, I, I don't think. Yeah, they've been doing like one shots no. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, just the main titles. The, but the one shots had very one. important plot things happen. Like we found out that uh, there's a cure that's inside of Harley Quinn, and I don't think I, that they really spell. I hate that to be hateful, but I I can't like this book because it just feels like Jimmy Tiv trying to cannibalize Tom Taylor's success, and I I have too much prejudice against him. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> too man. Easy like for it's, me to criticize Jimmy Tiv with this one. I think it's Rosenberg with Jimmy T to double sales. I I agree. Like I, th- I think I, I bet I think, that's it. 
Tynion's on the cover to to make more sales. It, just it back feels there being a, a hack lot somewhere. like a Rosenberg book. Yeah. Man, you are a hateful little punk today. <laughs> I hate Jimmy TIV, I think. I think that, <laughs> that tattoo I got that says, don't give me IV, you oh. know, sort of like a medical joke, um, yeah. is actually going to bite me in the butt um, at some point. But uh, yeah, well, no, And your I, butt has that other tattoo that says, I, think, I hate razor blades. I think that it's important to love things but I also think everyone needs to have some valve to get some hate out. And if you can find a really inconsequential way to do it, I love uh, football. I fucking hate Kansas city chiefs. I hate Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, you gotta like, I have an irrational hatred for him. You just, you choose, you find a target that doesn't is totally inconsequential to have. I'm just green so... peppers, green peppers, <laughs> I think are the trashiest, most disgusting thing in the world. And I, I literally <laughs> look down on anyone who eats green peppers. You I'm can so pay a dime more be. and get a red pepper which is a ripe pepper or an orange oh, pepper. But a green pepper is a not ripe pepper. They're but it terrible. Just tastes different. I look down on you. I look down on you. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, look I, down just, on you. I like green peppers. I don't like the yellow yeah. peppers. Enjoy yourselves, boys. Yeah, when you finally have some royalty in your blood, you'll know what it's like. <laughs> but until then, enjoy your green peppers. <laughs> I was going to say, I was glad that it wasn't me who was the focus of your ire anymore because I like not mattering enough to be the bad guy. But I'm sure you could fucking where... change it pretty quick. No, I'm just I don't kidding. know. I don't know if I can. Just... Um, no, you Jill got Thompson choose. is doing the fourth issue. Of yeah, I saw that. We got we've got Jill Thompson on four and we've got Rubin on three. Rubin. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just encourage everyone to find something, find a target that doesn't actually hurt anyone to hate. Like um, James Tynion, the human with feelings. Fuck the it. Human mayo. Uh, <laughs> the green pepper of humanity. <laughs> Oh, he's the Patrick Mahomes, who's the greatest quarterback currently playing in the NFL. Anywho, um, Django, you want to clean it up for us since you weren't here for the intro because you were too busy baking cakes with your girlfriend? I was baking cakes in the bathroom. Oh. Um, oh, shit. Yes. We, we told people the wrong saying. thing. Oh, you didn't tell them? No, but I told you I wasn't gonna. Oh, man. I thought this was another thing like that other thing. No, I told you. Is that them an you Alan Moore jersey behind you? It's an Alan Moore jersey. Okay. That's Number awesome. eight for the New York Jets, <laughs> Owl and Moore. You say eight, I say lazy infinity. I say hate. <laughs> hey, you can send us emails like Will does um, every week, and we appreciate Will for it. Dear God, we, does anybody else listen to this? Please send no, us an email. <laughs> if you want to prove that you're not dead, except for Andrew, and except yep. for Judd, yep. and except for Brian Garside, they're all alive. Brian? Even my own mother is dead to me. Brian, Jason, wait, I know you've seen this. Get off your lazy ass. Quit ordering unsacred covers and actually send us an email, okay? Oh, no, we have no, to edit that out. We That's didn't a have a violation. No, we didn't have cover E this week. <laughs> Write me a fucking email here about it instead of on Facebook. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You wrote it to me in the email, but I answered it. Um, just now on the podcast. No, I sent him a personalized email and I told him oh, I well, love now him. Now he doesn't I, have to listen to this podcast because I love him. I do love Jason Wait. I love everybody, actually. Except for Jimmy D.I.V. <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes. Um, and Green Peppers. And Green Peppers, because they're not red hot chili peppers. peppers. They're trashy. Listen, uh, Justin never quite understood that. He actually always thought that I was being literally hateful and judgmental about Green Pepper Eaters. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's a bit, man. They're fucking Green Peppers. They're the trash. You're a garbage person if you eat them. Also... I had them on a sandwich two days ago, so I just also I would, if you take the spice out, that's that's just a jalapeno. It's jale, a jolly. That's a, a jalapeno. That's a jolly. So email us, um, yeah. come into our store, and do a recording with us. Yeah, ask us, remind work. us. We're we're bad at this, but we're uh, we're working on a on we a got thing. A, we got a couple uh, introduction introduction uh, quotes from listeners, and we're excited to get more. So come in. We'll record a copy of you saying, uh, "I'm." Will Elmer, and you're listening to the Perfect Acceptable Podcast. And uh, we've got a couple of them in the bank. We just got to figure out how our editor, Andrew Carlson, the amazing, thank you, Andrew, as always, for doing this for us, um, how we're going to incorporate that in there. And then also, we need to just get Andrew uploading the podcast at this point because I can't do it. I can't do it ever again. <laughs> I love you all, and we'll see you next week for episode 280, an anniversary, mm. if you're a comic book publisher, I bet. Oh, probably. We could charge yeah. 10 bucks for that issue and put a 1,000 covers on it. Well, let's just see how many uh, special editions we have. It it might be issue episode 500. Mm. We'll see you for 100 and high fives next week. What's your name? They know me. They know, they know I'm Gord. I'm Owlin Moore for the New York Jets. Number eight. <laughs> <laughs>
the future wide receiver of the NFL. I'm Roman. I'm the greatest green pepper lover in the world. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm Django, and I was wondering, mm. you guys want to take a field trip with me to Kelso and see if they have any sandwiches? Sorry, I can't hear you behind the car speeding in your yeah, house. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm Django, and okay. I was wondering. Okay, sorry. Yeah, What was you wondering? You guys want to take a field trip with me to Kelso and see if they have any sandwiches? They don't. I check. Not a single sandwich restaurant in the entire no town. Sandwiches. Jesus. I need an ad campaign. <laughs> you know, I watched that documentary about the making of the National Lampoons after your dream. Oh, what'd you think? I fell asleep at like halfway through it. <laughs> oh, Super so interesting. The Kelso though. part. I, I I loved it up to that point. It was just that I was fucking exhausted. It was after a Wednesday. Um, yeah. But I was like, I'm going to watch this documentary and have something to talk to Django about. And, and we <laughs> talked about Bullet Train and said, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.